You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. I'm Dr. Susan Blank. You're listening to America's Web Radio, and this is Detailing Addiction. Today in studio with me, I have David Donaldson from the Atlanta Healing Center, and our special guest today is Mr. Larry Cohn. He is a criminal defense attorney here in Atlanta, and please get a piece of paper and a pencil or a pen or whatever writing utensil you use these days, because we'll give you some contact information about his practice. One of the nice things about your website, um, Larry, and welcome. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Is that there's a lot of topics there with some very good information just generally about some questions that I know people might have if they're having some interactions with the legal system. Uh, So this is some very good information. And also, uh, you and your partners have some um, years of experience. You're a undergraduate from Emory and then a graduate of Georgia State University Law School and you've been in practice for I'm going to mumble a few years and uh, I had hair when I started (laughs) (laughs) so so for those of you who can actually see you'll know why that's cute Um, but I'd just like you to tell us a little bit about your practice your partners and uh, what you have going on here in Atlanta our firm is uh, Conan Yeager along with William C. Head Um, we are generally well-known throughout Georgia as probably the preeminent criminal defense DUI firm. We've written books. My law partner, William Head, is uh, the foremost author and probably one of the most well-known lawyers within the country for DUI defense. My law partner, Corey Yeager, is a former police officer in both Roswell along with uh, Cobb County. Um, In addition, when I went to Emory undergrad, I was a religion major, got out of undergraduate, worked as in the finance field, and then went back to law school working full-time for my law partner, William Head, and upon graduation became his partner. So I worked 40 hours a week to put myself through law school, and in addition then became his partner upon graduation. And all we do and what we're known for is criminal defense, or people who get in trouble for alcohol, drug-related, violent crimes, sexual crimes, um, a myriad of things that you can get in trouble for, that's what we focus on, and that's what we practice. And again, the reason I became acquainted or know Dr. Blank is that I was speaking at a conference probably three or four years ago to several hundred lawyers, and Dr. Blank spoke after me about the effects of alcohol and drugs on the brain. And I'll never forget this, is that I asked Dr. Blank, I said, I don't understand something. If somebody simply wants to just stop drinking or stop using drugs, why can't they just will themselves away? If you have a strong enough willpower and a strong enough fortitude inside yourself, can't you just stop? She looked at me and she says, well, if you had diabetes or you had a heart disease or cancer, could you just will your problem away? And I thought that was a very intuitive, intelligent answer. And the essence of what she's talking about was that alcoholism, drug addiction, other types of issues like this are brain disorders and brain diseases the same way that we think of cancer, heart attacks, um, different types of issues, uh, diabetes, different types of issues with regard to your body. And it really brought something to my mind that... You know, people who come in with with these problems need oftentimes more help than simply just going to Alcoholics Anonymous meetings or simply going to different types of therapy groups. But there oftentimes is an underlying problem which causes them to use these substances to take a break from reality. And 
she has had, I, I can't uh, give enough kudos to Dr. Blank. She has helped a number of my clients, especially those who've had significant what we would call dual diagnosis disorders, which are a combination of alcohol or drug issues coupled with some mental health problems. Um, Thank you. And uh, that combined with different types of counseling, I think that the combination really works. It's really what I would say is I happen to be Jewish, but it's really the Holy Trinity. If you have the counseling, you have the medical aspect of it, along with the individual wanting to go ahead and, and commit themselves to following advice and, and, and maintaining a, so, you know, a lifestyle of sobriety or a lifestyle of, of nonviolence or a lifestyle of trying to commit themselves to not being angry or, or things of that nature, the, the combination of those three things will generally lead to a successful result. I think that's a very, very good description of what it takes for people to be in recovery. And often, unfortunately, um, there is a, an event that has happened in someone's life that has finally got their attention and or their family's attention, that something is, is seriously wrong and people need help. So it's often an opportunity, unfortunately, when people come in contact with the legal system, it is... Um, an opportunity for them at that point to make some changes. They have a motivation to do that, and that's always um, nice when that Holy Trinity comes together and we're able to make an impact. So I appreciate your being here, and thank you for the kind words. No, thank you. I also want to bring up, um, going into what you were saying, uh, when you take a look oftentimes when people come in to see me, there's a, and there's an expression that I'm sure that you know that David and and you guys use is that relapse oftentimes is part of recovery. Right. And generally, people come to me or have an instance where they have relapsed. They have gone through a period of sobriety. They've gone through a period of really doing, you know, a lot of positive in their life, and then something happens. There's a trigger mechanism that I believe that you can maybe speak more about than I can that causes them to relapse and and and, and eventually fall back into a lifestyle that leads to a criminal charge, whether it's a DUI, whether it's a possession of drug charge, whether it's a domestic violence offense that took place after drinking, whether it is some sort of instance that took place, whether at work or whatever it may be, I generally see the results of that that have manifested themselves with an arrest. And you guys, at that point, try and help the person. My, my job is, in essence, in addition to being a lawyer, I like to be a counselor. Um and, and, and to me, I think that's probably one of the most important parts, and I want to relay a story um, that happened four or five days ago where I had a, a, a young man who unfortunately was trying to commit suicide through a vehicle. And he was trying, unfortunately, and caused himself some significant problems, ended up getting charged with an offense. And as a result of that, oftentimes you see situations where mental health can cause significant problems um, that they get themselves involved with the criminal justice system. And that's where someone who's a, a good psychiatrist, a counselor, you need to use all three um, because seldom or, you know, hopefully the majority of my cases are someone who's a one and done. Made a bad decision, never right. going to happen again. Right. But very often there are many people who have underlying problems. Correct. DUI may be an exception because there's oftentimes a lot of people who just simply go out, had too much to drink because mm -hmm. it's a lawful type of behavior. You know, you're allowed to consume alcohol and thereafter drive a car. But very few people come into me after they've been using cocaine for a period of time because they know the second they use cocaine, that's a problem. Or the second that you walked out of the Target 
with the candy bar or the potato chip bag in your pocket or the jewelry or whatever it was, you knew you were doing something wrong. So DUI may necessarily be an exception to that, but uh, people find themselves in some pretty crazy situations. And as a result of that, I think that mental health counseling is an incredibly important part of the overall criminal defense practice. Well, your background and training in uh, theology and religion is very helpful as, as a therapist, and I think that's an important thing, the ability to listen to what people are telling you and to go beyond the storyline, because often the storyline doesn't necessarily tell you what the real problem is. That's why I wake up in the middle of the night thinking about this. It's not a good thing, but it happens. Well, in real often, the storyline they want to hang on to because they don't want the other truth to come out. Um, and in particular, when they've got some some self doubt or some some mental health issues that they've kind of been keeping from the world, um, having a DUI is a more socially acceptable thing for a lot of them to actually deal with. And you're able to to kind of tease that out with your clients um, in a way that they obviously feel very safe. Right. The, the key is is that you want to at least. You know, in addition to helping with the criminal justice system, because the problem is, is oftentimes if I got rid of the charges, and I tell this to people all the time, I said, look, if t- I was able to wave a magic wand and your case just disappeared, right. the problem is, is you still wake up tomorrow morning with the same problems that you had before. You're in a marriage where you and your wife are arguing and you're physically fighting with one another. You are utilizing alcohol and drugs as a crutch, or you are you know, engaging in behavior that's physically and, and mentally and socially destructive to yourself. Okay. Great. I'm looking for the repeat business. I'm happy if you go out out and get in trouble again. But realistically, that's not what I'm looking for because if I can try and point you in the right direction, you know, I think that that can make the world a little bit of a better spot. But one of the topics we're going to discuss today is the accountability court system here in Georgia and across the nation. Um, And I don't know if, if you guys have had the opportunity to deal with it because you generally wouldn't in terms of being private practitioners. What happened was is probably in the early 2000s and late 1990s, the criminal justice system around the country realized that simply incarcerating people who are utilizing or using drugs or drinking is not accomplishing the the result that they're looking for because the problem is is that and I tell this to people sometimes I say listen you're charged with very serious offenses but even if the judge really wanted to light you up and give you every day in jail that they're possible of giving you the problem is is if you live to the expected age in this country of 78 you know, there is not enough jail time. You're going to have to get out of jail, and you're going to live the rest of your life. And the problem is, is how do you live in the outside world? So judges got tired of seeing the same people come in and out of their courtroom, and they came about the idea that, you know what, if we can maybe have people accountable or hold people accountable for their actions, not necessarily be light on them, but basically understand the human failings and the problems that people have in their lives, if we can do that, we can perhaps – you know, curtail the rate of recidivism and curtail the rate of people coming back into the criminal justice mm-hmm. system. So I believe it started in, in Florida, at least for DUI courts and drug courts. Uh, what happens is that a person would get charged with an offense and they would say, okay, we're going to dangle a big carrot in front of you. These are for the drug offenses or for certain types of mental health cases. And what they're going to do is the court will say, we're going to put you through a very rigorous, and this is incredibly rigorous for about two years worth of programming, that if you can successfully complete this, we're going to put you in a position where if you do what we tell you to do, we're going to dismiss your case. Now, what does that entail? It will entail drug screens nearly several times a week for a long period of time. It will entail counseling probably at least two to three times a week. It will entail group meetings. It will entail 
Alcoholics Anonymous meetings. It's something that you it will disrupt your everyday schedule. Right, every day. And, and but that's the point of it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Is that you know I mean they say idle I guess idle hands or what's it the, <laughs> the, the the you know the product of the devil or I'm not even sure what the what's the what's the I'm not even sure the the correct quote. But in these particular I think cases, the devil's playground, the devil's <laughs> playground, or something to that effect. So, what I'm suggesting is, is that these courts were designed with the idea that if you are keeping people busy doing counseling and treatment, mm-hmm. which is kind of what you do, and especially what you do, um, and make them accountable, they have to go to court twice a month, they have to appear in front of a judge, they have status updates, and if they are not doing what they should be doing. They test positive or they don't do something that they were supposed to do and they don't attend their meetings, the penalty is immediate. We're going to give you more penalties. We can put you in jail. We can give you sanctions. We can go ahead and curtail your ability to live life in the outside world. And a lot of people have taken to the um, to the courts and these accountability courts. They're very difficult. But the reason that I think that they work is that if people get into the practice of, of engaging in that type of behavior over a course of at least two years, chances are that you're going to be successful for a longer period of time. Mm-hmm. So we're going to take a break now. When we come back, we're going to learn a little bit more about these accountability courts and the impact that it can have on a person's life. So please stay tuned. This is Dr. Susan Blank, host of Detailing Addiction on America's Web Radio. Please join us at 4 p.m. on Tuesday afternoons. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Okay, folks, let's have some fun on America's Web Radio. We love idioms, and we want yours. So send it in. Go into uh, our homepage, look under the flag at the banner, and uh, click on idioms, and send us your idiom today. Thanks. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. 
back. Welcome back. This is Detailing Addiction. This is America's Web Radio, and I'm Dr. Susan Blank. With me in studio is David Donaldson from the Atlanta Healing Center and Mr. Larry Cohn from Conan Yeager, uh, defense attorneys here in Atlanta. If you would like more information about their website, please go to www, and this is all spelled out, so georgiacriminaldefense.com, www.georgiacriminaldefense.com. Lots of good information there, lots of good uh, resources for you, so please check out that website. Also, if you need to speak with someone, the number is area code 404-567-5515, 404-567-5515. We'll give you these numbers and information again in our next segment, but please make sure that you make note of them. So right um, before the break, we were talking about accountability courts, particularly DUI courts or drug courts, and you were explaining a little bit about what they are. I was hoping that you might expound a little bit more about what it takes to get into one of them, uh, how that process works, and what that's really going to mean for the individual. Absolutely. First... When they started, there were a number of judges, and Georgia is a very conservative state. I know people say it's purple, but in many places, it's incredibly dark, dark red. Um, And as a result of that, there were a lot of judges who were tough on crime and said, there's no way that I'm going to go for this, you know, feel good. Let them off. Yeah, let them off the hook type deal. But they saw that it was working in other jurisdictions, And, and a number of, about several years ago, the governor sent a letter to a number uh, to all the superior court judges that said, "I don't understand something." Georgia has a population much less than Texas, but yet we have five times as many people on probation, parole, and in the criminal justice system as Texas. We were the leader wow. in the United States compared to Texas, and Texas is not some very soft on crime jurisdiction. So Georgia, through Governor Deal, who came before uh, Brian Kemp, who's our recent governor, our current governor now got a lot more active in putting these accountability courts into place. So for certain types of issues, drug possession, it cannot be drug sale, but possession of drugs, DUI, um, other types of sometimes property crimes and things like that who are people with mental health issues, veterans. So they have started different types of accountability courts, and really the key or the numbers that there are is there's DUI court, there's mental health court for people with mental health addictions or issues, excuse me, issues that took place before the incident. It's not like you go out and rob a bank and say, whoa, I'm crazy. Right. I got a problem. You got to have significant schizophrenia, bipolar, different types of other issues that, that would lead a court to say this person is in need of, of uh, services. Then, with regard to DUIs, they said, okay, you've got to have a certain number of DUIs within a certain number of a period of time. You've got to have a history of showing this. The difference between the DUI courts and the other types of courts is in a DUI court, your charge is not stricken from your record. You plead guilty to a DUI, you are sentenced to an accountability DUI court. The benefits of going into that are first and foremost is you get treatment. Second, you also have a lesser penalty. There are many jurisdictions that will waive, if not minimize, the amount of jail time that you would have, where in many circumstances, you're looking at a sentence where you'd be going to jail for 60 to 90 to, to six months, 60, 90 days to, 
to uh, up to six months to a year or a long period of time where they'll say, okay, you do the DUI court, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to give you the minimum amount of jail time that you would have underneath the statute or in some jurisdictions, no jail time. And you know what else we're going to do? We're going to waive your fines. You don't have to pay anything for the fines, but you do need to pay for the treatment. And guess what we're going to do? You're obligated to do certain types of community service, but if you enter into our program, you don't need to provide community service. We're going to count what you're doing towards your community service. And in many cases, and only in DUI cases, your license is supposed to be suspended for a period of up to a year, and you can't get a permit for up to four months. But guess what? If you enter into this accountability court, maybe after 30 days, if you're doing a good job, we'll give you a permit to drive. So there are different incentives to entering into a DUI court. The only drawback is, is unlike other types of crimes, your charge stays with you the entire time. It does not get restricted. It doesn't get expunged. It goes on your record as a conviction. So the reason for that is, is I believe that the federal government and different types of government governmental agencies have come in and said, look, if you want federal money, there is no dismissing the DUI charges. So as a result of that... You know, a lot of people say, well, why do I want to enter into this sort of program? For some people, it's a very good program, and for others, it may not be. If you travel extensively for work, it'd be very difficult to say on Tuesday nights and Thursday nights and, and Saturday mornings, you're going to need to go to this particular location. Well, if no you matter travel, what. No right. matter what. And if you miss it, you're subject to jail time. Um, those are very difficult circumstances to enter into a DUI court program. The drug court program is the very same deal. You would have to live in the county in which the, the case is taking place. But if you don't, you could enter into a DUI court in the county in which you live. The program or the county can be transferred. So these particular programs from the drug court to the mental health court to the veterans court, the benefits of it are, guess what? If you successfully complete your program... Not only does your case get dismissed, but your record gets restricted, which means that your fingerprints would not be able to be viewed by employers. Your fingerprints are still available to be viewed by law enforcement and judicial agencies, and prosecutors can see it. But you want to go apply for that job at Home Depot, they're not going to see the, if you successfully complete the program, they do not see your drug arrest, or they don't see the fact that you broke into a, you know, a car or something of that nature and were charged with a crime. So as a result, there are huge benefits oftentimes for running the programs. But the success rate of these programs is terrific for those who can complete it. Most people have a hard time completing it. But a lot of the judges and and the people who are doing this are trained to understand that if you're entering into this program, you already have a problem to begin with. So it's not the easiest thing in the world to complete. And as a result, they are oftentimes willing to work with people who have problems to a certain degree. Mm -hmm. But it's a tough love attitude. I mean, there's not a lot of BS or a lot of room for for problems in these programs, but I think that they're very beneficial and they help the community, and the recidivism rate is incredibly, incredibly low. Recidivism meaning the, the people who come back and reoffend. So the reoffending rate for people who go through these programs is very low, um, and they exist all throughout the United States of America. Mm-hmm. And what's really unique is that the judges who previously were so against these programs are now oftentimes the biggest proponents of these programs, mm-hmm. and that's pretty interesting. Um, as was the governor. Governor Deal was a former Superior Court judge from Hall County. A lot of people don't know that. Hall and Dawson County. Um, so he sentenced a number of people who were charged with crimes. And he was tired of seeing the same people come through the court. His son is the drug court process, or the drug court judge up in the Hall uh, Hall oh. County area, and he runs a terrific program up there. 
Um, but every county, major metro Atlanta county has it. Most, if not all, many state courts throughout Georgia have the DUI court program. And most counties or many counties have a drug court program. And if not, you can be transferred into a county in which you live. But they're very beneficial, but they're not easy to go through. And if you want to explain oftentimes why it's so hard, because you have people... You can explain that you have people who are simply wanting to go through the motions. And if you just want to talk about what that means. And And that's a hard thing where the the individual often doesn't believe that they have a problem and that they are just trying to get people off their back. Sometimes that's enough. Uh, Do it long enough and, um, and things do get better. Often they're so ill in their disease that they need detox, they may need additional help, they may need medication-assisted recovery. There may be some additional factors that complicate uh, their being able to be successful. Often women will have child care issues, folks will have transportation problems, finances can be a problem. You've got to be able to pay the fines, you've got to, or that, excuse me, for the probation, you've got to be able to pay for the drug screens. So sometimes there are mitigating circumstances that the person has above and beyond their attitude or their willingness, um, but generally it's a, I don't believe this is really going to happen. I've lived my life manipulating people. People like me. I can be charming. I can tell you what I think you want to hear. They don't think it's going to be really serious. And then the first time they're late, the first time they decide to go get drunk on the weekend and think they're going to be fine with their drug test, uh, they very quickly realize the judges aren't kidding. The judges will be their biggest cheerleader, which is an interesting thing to talk to people as they go through this process and see the kinds of feelings they begin to have towards the judge who may have become supportive of them over time as they've seen them trying. But they learn pretty quickly, this is not your mama who's going to listen to your stories and and get you off. This is not, uh, we're not fooling, and this is really serious. And that immediate consequence, I think, is so helpful because many of these folks, unfortunately, if they have the disease of addiction, have often had enablers in their life who have made it Easier. I'm not going to say easy, but easier for them to stay active in their disease, actively using drugs or alcohol. And uh, people have helped them get out of trouble at school, help them um, get out of trouble with the neighbors, with their dad, with however it works. They think that's still going to happen for them. Guess what? It doesn't happen for them. So it's a rude awakening, and some people are just yeah, not able to do it. It's a big surprise for the family members um, who have been able to successfully get them out of things over the years. And the first time that their their young adult um, messes up and ends up going into jail for three days and they can't get him out mm-hmm. um, is an eye opener for many, many parents. Right. I, I just, I've experienced just. So many different types of cases, but what just one that comes to mind, which I think is interesting, is that people oftentimes don't think that they have a problem with alcohol or drugs. And I'm saying to myself, I say, okay, and they come into my office. I said, I don't understand something. You knew that you were going to be tested, okay, meaning that right. <laughs> you're on probation. You go in once a month to take a drug screen. You knew that you were going to be tested, but yet you still smoked marijuana knowing that you are going to be tested. To me, that's a huge problem, that if you knew that you were going to have people over to your house for a party, and you said, I'm purposefully, I'm not cleaning up my house, and your house is a complete dump, 
and a complete sty, and it's messy. It makes zero sense. You would, you know, it's it's like you, it's not like this was some surprise that people just came over and the house was a mess. You invited everybody over, and the same thing happens with alcohol or drugs, and you see them continually get into these same problems over and over again. It is a surprise for families when police knock on the door to do a, a quick search. A search. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk more about accountability courts and how they can be helpful. Please stay tuned. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is Daryl Pullis inviting you to listen to America's Homegrown Veggie Show right here every Saturday morning at 10 Eastern Time. Great guests, great tips, and valuable information about growing your own vegetables, fruits, and herbs. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to Detailing Addiction. I'm Dr. Susan Blank, and this is America's Web Radio. Today, David Donaldson and I are visiting with our special guest, Mr. Larry Cohn from Cohn and Yeager Defense Council here in Atlanta. If you would like to check out their website, and I do suggest that you do, go to www.georgiacriminaldefense.com. That's GeorgiaCriminalDefense.com, or you can reach them directly at area code 404-567-5515, 404-567-5515. So we've been talking about uh, accountability courts and how they can be helpful for people, but to your point, sometimes people have a hard time taking advantage of them, and um I know um, this must be 
frustrating for you when you go to all the work um, to get a judge and the prosecutor and everybody on board to allow someone to have an opportunity to make some changes in their life, and then things don't quite work out that way. Uh, I just recently had a case where I had a client who racked up several DUI charges within a six-month period, like at least four. Never been in trouble for anything with within a four within a short period of time, and the charge was potentially going to be a felony. We were able to get some of the charges dismissed and dropped against her. One of the conditions was that she would have to enter into a treatment and accountability court and complete it. And one of the problems is is that within the first meeting that she went, there was some sort of basically not disagreement, but the best way I can say it is is that there was some sort of discrepancy that she didn't do what she was supposed to do or there was some sort of misunderstanding. And I tell people, when you go to these courts, it's kind of like your relationship with your wife. Whether it's your fault or not, guess whose fault it is? It's your fault. (laughs) So in this particular circumstance, I told my client, and I tell this to my clients oftentimes, that you don't get a second chance at a first impression. So when you go to this court, I said, you need to be on your best behavior and you need to succeed and you need to go ahead and take advantage of it. And the judges will be the first to tell you, you get out of it what you put into it. And there are other clients I have that I say, look, don't even bother going to the court. You're going to get more jail time if you do the court than just do the jail time right now. Go in there, let's take the jail time, let's get it over with and move on with your life. But doing the court, but doing the court, unfortunately, um, to many people, they continually get sanctioned because they cannot adhere to a particular schedule. But those who have successfully completed it would find it, many would find it rewarding, but there are also many that would say, you know what, it was a little bit overkill, I get it, um, and I understand that. Oftentimes there are cases that I do, and my law partner, William Head and, and Corey Yeager, what we will do in many circumstances is that sometimes there are clients that we have that are unable to complete the DUI court program or a drug court program as it is written. When I have these cases, what I can do is I will use people like Dr. Blank and David. I will use other types of alcohol and drug counselors and treatment providers to come up with a commensurate type of program. I've had circumstances where I have come up with a program, and I say to the court, for example, there are certain types of drugs or medications that you take which will not allow you to get into the program. For example, if you take certain types of SSRI inhibitors or you take Xanax or you take different types of uh, you know, amphetamine-type drugs, they right. can't distinguish those types of drugs in a drug screen. And as a result of that, you can go get tested, and the people who run the accountability court think, my goodness, this person's using methamphetamine. Right. But you're not, and they can't tell. So they say, you know what? This is on the list of drugs. You can't take it. But it doesn't make sense where if you've had somebody who for 20 years or 15 years has had a a particular drug that the doctor has prescribed, I I don't think it would be beneficial to say, hey, let's just shake it up and try something else so they get into this drug court or DUI court program. So in some some of these circumstances, what I've done is that I have – come up with my own program, and I've successfully done that in several jurisdictions throughout Georgia many times where I will bring in the counselors to explain, first thing is I don't thumb my nose at your program. I think it's a good program. Right. But in this particular circumstance, and you know it's a good program because I've put people in your program. So it's not like the judge can say, oh, Cone never puts people in our program. I'll say, look, you've got my clients in your program, but in this particular case, this man is a traveling salesman. It will not work. But I'll tell you what will work is why don't we put a monitor on his ankle or some sort of monitor or he'll carry with him a device that he can breathe into. Mm -hmm. 
you're concerned about him not drinking, I'll tell you what. Let's carry this thing with him wherever he goes. You can call him whenever you want. He'll breathe into it. Shows he's got no alcohol in his system. Great. We've accomplished your, your first part. Well, you guys have meetings on Tuesday and Thursday and, and Saturday mornings or Sunday or whatever it is. Guess what? He's on the road. That's not going to work. Or he's a school teacher, and I did this before. You're asking him to come into test for alcohol and drugs every morning between 7 and 9 a.m. Well, guess what? He needs to be in the parking lot of his school at 10 to 7. He won't make it. Mm-hmm. Further, you need this school teacher to come to DUI court or drug court programming at 3 o'clock on a Monday. How is that going to go over when he has a class? It won't. So here's what needs to happen. Your program does work well. I'm not critiquing it. I think it's a great program. But in this particular case, he would benefit from your program, but he will not benefit from the way your program in terms of the time commitment. It does not work. And as a result, we've got to make two choices. He can either give up his job, and then he'd be able to complete your program. But your program is designed that you have to work or you have to um, be seeking employment or enrolled in school in order to be in the program generally. There may be some very minor exceptions, but for the most part, that's what they want. And as a result, if we're going to take away the one thing that really matters the most to this particular person, his job, his livelihood, Mm -hmm. um, or her job or her livelihood, just so that they can complete your program, you're really not giving them what it's like to live in the real world. Because it's kind of like I tell my daughter loves the show The Bachelor. She watches it all the time. And I said, well, who wouldn't enjoy going to a, you know, an island, having an exotic getaway and hearing a fabulous band play while you're being served a great dinner by Wolfgang Puck? Mm-hmm. Who wouldn't like that? But guess what? That's not the real world. Right. So the issues that we have in these particular cases are is that we want to have, you know, a scenario that to me is that when they are done with your program, how's life going to be? They're still going to have the same stressors, and they're still going to have the mm-hmm. same issues. Um, and how's that going to play into effect? So the accountability courts are great in many circumstances, and they're not great in other circumstances. And it just depends upon your particular circumstance to make a decision about whether it works for you. Um, what I'd also like to bring up, and I don't know if you guys, one of the things that I've been doing recently with the clients I've sent to Dr. Blank is if you can tell me more about the brain mapping that you do for people because I have clients oftentimes who come to me. I've had uh, from all walks of life, from physicians to business people to, you know, teachers to anybody that you can possibly think of that I've sent to Dr. Blank and I've sent to other different types of alcohol and drug counseling. But one thing that that I find unique about your practice and I'd like to be a little more educated about is the brain mapping program that you use because my understanding is is that just by looking at the details of someone's brain without even really talking to them, you have a great insight into who they are and how they work. It's very interesting that uh, as psychiatrists over the years, we don't actually look at the organ we treat, which has always struck me as being weird. Um, But we know that from electrical activity of the brain, just like electrical activity of the heart, the cardiologist can tell if I've had a heart attack, if there's something unfortunate about how my heart is beating. We can do a quantitative EEG, and we can look at that person's brain. We have a number of databases that we then compare it to. So we look at age-match norms, because women's brains and men's brains are actually different. 
people don't like that. Um, people's brains don't fully develop until the mid to late 20s. So we have to make sure that we're comparing apples to apples. How does your brain compare with somebody else your age? The second thing, we can look at known psychiatric disorders. So people will come in sometimes and they'll be describing anxiety, the racing heart, the pressure in their chest, they can't swallow, butterflies in their stomach. Sometimes that's genetically inherited anxiety that we see very fast waves, 20 to 30 beats per second. That's treated one way, but often we'll see that it is actually in a slower brainwave um, pattern that is consistent with stress and cortisol-related problems. And so it's a stress response. Both of them sound the same. They manifest themselves similarly. That didn't come out right. um, For the person, but their treatment is very different. And the question about ADD. So lots of people are diagnosed with ADD, far more than actually have it, since it's really a pretty rare disorder. A lot of our patients have come in with a diagnosis of ADD, and really only 4% of the population actually has it. So we can look at their brain map and we can determine, do they actually have ADD? Then we can look at their medication and see whether it makes sense for them to continue on a stimulant um, that might be uh, contraindicated for for accountability court. We can look and see the psychiatric illnesses. We can also run a discriminant to look at known head injury patterns. Many of our patients have had head injuries, either as children um, or through accidents or illnesses. Sometimes when they're under the influence, there are falls, they get in fights. Lots of our folks will have head injuries. And then we also have a fourth one that we look at the brain patterns of people who are peak performers, because a lot of our our patients are professional folks, students, and we want to see how do they compare to normal population in terms of how their brain works versus peak performers, people who are at the top of the game, leaders of industry, um, professionals, athletes, performers. So this gives them some additional help, and then we can determine medication choices. We can determine other kinds of activities that might be helpful in turn in including neurofeedback because, again, a lot of my patients may have anxiety, but I can't give them Xanax because they would take the whole bottle before they got to the parking lot. So we still have to help them with their anxiety, but we have to find ways that don't complicate the treatment of their disease of addiction, too. So it gives me a lot of insight. It's also often validating for the person to be able to see, yeah, this looks really bad, but I'm not making this up. This is my internal life. This is how my thinking, my behavior has been feeling for me, and now my family can see it here in this map and can understand me a little bit better. So I I think it's a very helpful methodology. Is it everything? No. But it is an important something, and a lot of our patients get a lot out of it. Part of what's really interesting in in that last 
tests that the, they go through is that they actually get to look at a, a lot of their own issues and the things that they've had struggles with. And looking at the brain map, we can let them know this is a, a struggle you're having because of the way your brain is processing, or this is not really connected to your brain. This is more of a social thing, and that's something that you'll work on in the groups. And it gives some, some direction and some guidance of how to begin working on right. that. For both the treatment team and for our neurofeedback specialist, or for me in terms of figuring out the type of medication that might be more helpful for them. We're going to take a break. When we come back, I'd really like to focus in on mental health courts, so please stay tuned. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key and the trained staff at EHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back. This is Detailing Addiction on America's Web Radio. I'm Dr. Susan Blank, and in studio with me today is David Donaldson from the Atlanta Healing Center and Mr. Larry Cohn from Cohn and Yeager, Attorneys at Law. They're contact information, so please make sure you've got this, is www.georgia, and Georgia is spelled out, not abbreviated, georgiacriminaldefense.com, georgiacriminaldefense.com, and their phone number is 404-567-5515, and it looks like they can call that 24-7. Is that correct? Yes. We have uh, people answering the phone all t- 
times, day or night, uh, and uh, we will call you back on our cell phones. We'll call you back whenever it works out um, as soon as possible. But because usually these things don't happen 9 to 5, Monday no, but, to Friday. but oftentimes as a lawyer, I'm not allowed to go bond somebody out of jail. Correct. I can give advice or talk to you about what to happen, but most people call us after they've already bonded out of jail. Um, I want to bring up something that we were kind of talking about just briefly is I have a lot of people come into me with mental health problems, and I say oftentimes some of them can be helped and some of them can't. The mental health problems that come to me that I think can be helped are the ones that recognize that they have a mental health problem. Right. The difficult cases are the ones that do not recognize that they have mental health problems. I have had um, children at odds with their parents, and during the course of an intervention, um, you know, uh, the, 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 the child punched one of the relatives, which caused a problem, which caused a whole you know, ensuing criminal criminal case. And the problem with that is is that when you have someone who everyone in your who loves you recognizes that you have a problem, generally sometimes it's you gotta look inward and say, hey, it's me, it's not you. And that's a really difficult part because oftentimes the people who have these mental health problems think that the world is out to get them, that they want them either to be medicated. And we were talking before without going into any details on names about oftentimes clients who do not want to take their medication right. um, because I guess it interferes with their brain highs and low lows. It just kind of allows them to plod through. Um, or they're afraid from a paranoid standpoint that their doctor uh, is trying to hurt them, that their mom is trying to hurt them when they're giving them, or the nurse or whomever. Mm-hmm. So the, it becomes part of their paranoid delusions that the medicine itself is, um, is, is there to hurt them and part of the whole conspiracy to hurt them. So but, that I, makes I, it very difficult. The reali- We're treating two different parts of the brain. The addiction center the pe- is the pleasure pain center and their brains are still connected and they can still sort of see what's going on even though they're not following with what their rational thoughts are telling them because the pleasure pain is, is so rewarding. For the schizophrenic or the the confused person, their actual thinking, decision-making part of the brain is either giving them false information, making them say that nobody's trustworthy or they're trying to poison me or they're trying to take me over. So they're getting the wrong information from the part of the brain that thinks. And so it's so difficult. Once upon a time, you know, you could just lock somebody up and give them the meds and keep them for 30 days and then put them into a care home where they would monitor them. But... You know, we've closed a lot of the central hospitals, and we don't have those kind of resources the way we once did. Right. The hard part is I tell this a lot to parents. I say, look, you know, when your kid turns 18, if he wants to go deal blackjack in Vegas or say I'm going out to Bolivia and I'm going to be a farmer, guess what? Have at it. There's nothing you can do about it because they're an adult. Even though they may be living at your house and you may still think of them as your child, they're legally an adult. And to me, oftentimes, it's a very difficult situation where I tell parents who come to me when their kid's 15, 16, 17, that's when we need to really oftentimes deal with some of these issues. And I'm in juvenile court quite a bit on cases where the emphasis in juvenile court is about rehabilitation rather than punishment. Because the thought is is that we can go ahead and rehabilitate these people, make them gainful members of society. Mm-hmm. And that's really my job as a criminal defense lawyer is that I oftentimes have to explain to a prosecutor, a judge, um, or a victim. And, and a good example of this is I was representing a man who had an IQ of 70. 
oh. intellectually disabled in this country, or actually in this in this country, or I, we used to call it mentally retarded, was I guess just above seventy, or right around 70, 71. And his IQ was just at the line, and he was going around to places and he was taking things. He was going to a, a stand, and he was taking different types of items. But I guess he was doing it to ingratiate himself because the items that he took, he would bring to the people that he worked with, and he would bring them fruit and all sorts of things like that because he was trying to make friends. The problem was is the man who owned the fruit stand not so happy. was not so happy about this. And this was in the family reported when they posted something on uh, on the Facebook, you know, the family reported. Now, the problem when you have a case like this is, unfortunately, um, you're not aware of what – you're not aware – of what somebody else has gone through in their life and what has gone on, and you can't walk in another person's shoes. Mm-hmm. As a criminal defense lawyer, one of the things that I try and do is that I try and allow people, if only for a minute, to see things the way that things were going in my client's mind and what was happening. Mm-hmm. And it may not seem rational to us about why my client did X, Y, and Z and why he would take fruit and how could this person steal but if you understand what's going on for this person, I'm not asking the case should be dismissed or everyone we should be, you know, we should be forgiven. But oftentimes to give somebody a criminal record or to ruin their life, okay, great, congratulations. And I'll never forget this. I tried a case in a county where I had a client who was a commercial trucker. And I said to the prosecutor, I said, I'll tell you what, my understanding is that if, if I lose, my client's going to go to jail. I'll tell you right now, my client will do 30 days in jail, but he needs to keep his job. My client had never been in trouble for anything before. He got a DUI in his own personal vehicle. And we tried the case, and I lost. It was a horrible case. I really had no chance of winning it. But I tried it because, you know, my client's career and his livelihood was on the on the line. And at the end of the case, the judge said, Mr. Cohn, you can come up here anytime you want and try a case with me. He said, I'm not going to punish your client. He says, I know why you did it. And I said to the prosecutor, congratulations. You know, you won. You won. But in essence, I said, but now what? I said, now he's out of a job. I'm not saying that he should have dismissed the case, but if we had just simply amended a charge to a different type of disposition, given him a harder penalty than you would have ever given him. And I think that there's a number of prosecutors and and people who understand that on certain types of offenses and certain types of things that – you know, as a prosecutor, your role is oftentimes to do justice. And justice, right. you know, should be blind, but in essence, justice is not blind because it's not justice if you're going to, if someone's life is going to be ruined over a bad decision or if, if, the, if the family members oftentimes, I don't understand, if the, if the victim of a crime is coming into the prosecutor and saying, you know what, my husband hit me and it was awful. Mm-hmm. He has gone through counseling, he has gone through treatment. You know, why can't we do something where we've accomplished what we wanted? I'm not looking to have him lose his career or or lose his job or or be in a position where um, he's unable to find work. I said, I I think that the damage has been done and the penalty has been paid. I'm okay with this. Why do you have to get involved? And I always tell them, look, it's not you versus your husband. It's the state of Georgia versus versus your your husband. husband. And that's a very important thing that people don't realize or they lose sight of. It's not Walmart versus you when you stole the pack of chewing gum. It's the state of Georgia versus you. And in most of these cases, my job or the job of a criminal defense lawyer is to humanize your client and try and make the prosecutor understand or a judge understand, 
look, I'm not minimizing the conduct, but here's what was going on on that particular occasion. Such and such had just lost his job. In addition, his mother had passed away a week before. And now you understand why he went out that night, was drowning his sorrows as a result of alcohol. He just found out that his wife got found had has stage four breast cancer. Does it excuse the conduct? No. No. But take a look at what was going on with the background behind it to understand that this was someone who, here you are, he's 60 years old. How does somebody who's 60 years old, who's never been in trouble for anything, walk into Dillard's, put a couple tubes of makeup in their pocket, and walk out? Okay, when people come to me, and oftentimes it's very often menopausal women are right in the point of menopause, I'm like, look, you've got other things that are going on that are causing changes in your brain, behavior, anxiety, depression. And very often it's like the bell goes off. She goes, how did you know? I said, because you're not a thief. Okay? I said, all of a sudden at 60, you didn't wake up in the morning and say, you know what? I think I'm going to go to Target. I really, even though I've got a bank account, which I could afford whatever I want in the Target store, I think I need that, you know, that that bag of, you know what I mean, that bag of Cheetos. I really, I'm not going to scan that on purpose. No. The point I'm making is, is that people oftentimes have other issues going on in their lives. Correct. That manifest themselves within the criminal justice system. And you so, see that, and you see that. So when prosecutors see you coming, do they? <laughs> Are they receptive to these conversations, or yeah. are they like, "Oh, I'm going to turn a corner"? And well, <laughs> some do, and 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 oftentimes I just don't get it. I, I I'm like, okay, I mean, fair enough. But those are pe- the people who oftentimes don't get it, or either they're so jaded, or they're just career. They, they're either career prosecutors, or they've never, they haven't lived any life. They've never encountered or, or had a child who had problems or encountered a family member who had issues or lived. And you know what? That's great. If we could all live to such a high standard, the world would be a wonderful place. And that would be great. And I would love it to be that way. But that's just not the world that we live in. I just think that we are human. God put us on this earth. Some of us have strengths in some areas. And some of us have weakness in some areas. And as far as I can tell, the important thing that we need to do is that we need to go ahead and put people in a position. And I think that's one of the reasons I like you guys so much is that you try and help people. And that's why I love what I do is that in addition to trying to help people in addition to their crimes, if we can point them in the right direction and better their lives, I think the world will be a better spot. We thank you so much for being with us today. We thank all of our listeners, and we look forward to seeing you next week. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.